the football pod. Booing and the jeering and the anticipation. And then as he strikes it, there's that intake of breath because he puts the bloody ball 14 uh, yards the, the second he hits it, I knew we were under pressure. Like. Subscribe to the football pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. Uh, we didn't even mention the, the golf, Nathan. You know, it's... Um... World, world, uh, a jubilant Irish golfing population after Darren Clark's success. Does this mean he's good enough now to get invited to join the Live Tour? Uh, word was that Darren Clark turned down the opportunity nice. to play on the Live Tour. I would have said uh, man number one straight in, but maybe I underestimated uh, Darren Clark. So do you want to start on Ryder Cup captaincy slash golf, or do you want to start in Galway in we, the red? We, so, uh, yeah, let's start with Galway, as, as is the order. Well, you lose an All-Ireland final, you're going to end up in the red. Um, did they did they not have the depth of Kerry or were Kerry just more clinical in their substitutions? Like to take off their two most experienced players in Paul Ganey and David Moore I mean, they at were, halftime. I think, I think you're, you're over-egging the substitutions. Like uh, David Moore apparently had been sick and was not good in the first half and Paul Ganey wasn't good in the first half. And so what are you going to do? Like they picked those players, those players... Uh, could have been dropped in advance of the game like uh, you know they had no choice you still got to do it these are experienced players and I was listening to uh, John Fogarty and Colm Keyes on with Steve-O yesterday ahead of the game and both of them were talking about Jack O'Connor and one of um, Jack O'Connor's greatest traits is his in-game management and his ability to spot things and his ability to make these changes he's done it consistently and it did feel like Kerry were obviously under huge pressure, though probably relatively satisfied to be only a point behind at halftime, considering the amount of wides they kicked and they hadn't really played that well. And you felt that Galway had unloaded on them. But it did feel during the second half that Galway were more hesitant in their substitutions. And again, there was a lot of conversations going on between Keen O'Neill and Port Joyce and a lot of looking around and a lot of looking at options as who do we go with? But maybe that is just that strength and depth. That it is, you're, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're take, whoever it is, you're taking a chance and hoping that it's just their day rather than knowing you have somebody on the bench and exactly what job they're going to do in that situation. Whereas you know exactly what you're getting from the two Spillans in particular. And there is a, there is a case, like, why, why didn't they start, you know? Uh, so, look, I, I, I think that um, Galway can't be too annoyed, right? They're, they're definitely annoyed about the free um, when the game is a, a draw game and their player wins the ball and it's coming out and a handy free is given. You're like, oh, that's a big call. Mm. Suddenly, suddenly we're policing the defender holding the arm of the attacker. And I, Brian Gavin, in his piece in the Examiner today, is saying it's a free. The referees have been told to blow this. I'm like, fair enough. But is that the only incident? Well, that's probably why that Port Joyce was as frustrated because even in that passage down in that corner around that time, there was a load of little incidents and a little bit of pushing and shoving, and it was scrappy. And if you don't blow for any of them, referees tend to just let it all go. And whoever comes out with the ball comes out with the ball because otherwise you give the first one. You get the first little slip and the little push in the back. And you but again, isn't really a free because someone's off balance and it's not, you know, it's not that intentional. So to pick up there, and as Port Joyce said, it was a two-point swing. Like, you know, they go away, have all the momentum at the time. 
The crowd are it's up. A big turnover. Uh, it's a big turnover, and you give it to David Clifford, you know he's going to kick it over the bar every single time. So it was a huge moment, and obviously Galway never score again from there. So it was a it was a big big moment, but it did feel that Kerry were probably going to have enough. And listen, now Galway in a similar-ish situation to Kilkenny a week ago, where they you know, they gave it their all, they left it absolutely all out there, uh, probably. But I think the difference and the big question mark is around Comer and how they couldn't get Comer into the game at any stage. Yeah. Um, if they were going to win, they needed him to score a goal, really. And ultimately, the difference between the teams is four points. Now, it's hard to know in those Helter Skelter final few minutes, like Kerry could have scored a couple of goals. And uh, maybe that's just their experience and game management is not risking the goal and not risking the momentum swing or the confidence that uh, Goy are going to get if they if they miss it because the two fisted points in the final ten minutes are actually both really good goal opportunities mm. and maybe they score both I don't know like it, it maybe if you're a real killer instinct and maybe next year they'll go for goal for those and they'll score those goals and it's like a two eighteen to sixteen points and we're like well that that seems like a fair reflection of the of the performance um, so I don't think Galway can have too many complaints no there's the Connor Gleeson incident as well uh, when the Galway goalkeeper comes out and fouls and you know. Could he have been black-hearted for that? Quite possibly. So there was... It, it, when the game is level and it's that tight and it's that late and obviously everything after that goes in Kerry's favour, it's totally understandable. I think the poor choice would look at it isolated and say that was the swing in the game that pushed it towards Kerry. But it did feel as though they were a stronger side. Like where Galway go from here, they came an incredibly tough route to the final through Connacht. It'll be a similarly tough route next year. Uh, Comer's going to be 29 by next year's championship. Walsh is already 29. It did feel as this was their their time. Well, we I mean we've already said Kerry are going to win the All Ireland next year, so like, what's the? There's no, no point in anybody showing up, right? Dubs will be back. Uh, Mark Dunning says, does Jason Foley not deserve some credit for Comer not getting into the game? He does, yeah, he does. Um, there had been some rumours that um, uh, he might have been injured um, in the build-up, and that obviously did not perform like somebody who was injured. Uh, Kenny the Dad says, go away a breath of fresh air in the championship this year. They were never mentioned as contenders by any of you throughout the year. That's not actually true. As soon as um, Colin Boyle came on and talked to us about the uh, impact that the backroom team changes might have had, we were all like, oh, okay, so you're adding in defensive solidity and a plan to their exuberantly talented forward line. At that point, we started to um, take them more seriously. And yeah, and then uh, going in the red, shameful, says Kenny the dad. Defend yourself there, Nathan, from Mayo. Defend yourself, why are you putting going in the I red? don't pick these. Colin Buhig picks them is what I, how I defend myself every single weekend. Is if you're lo- losing All-Ireland finalists, unless you were Kilkenny last week, who managed to get in the amber, I'm fairly sure. Uh, I, I think it's a bit harsh in Galway to be in the red. What, a, what a coward, Colin says in my ear. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, prime rib of Mayo bitterness here. The beef is real, says Danny Mac one. That might be closer to the truth, Danny Mac. So... Yeah. No, no, I um, I just got an interesting uh, meme uh, from a friend of mine, which is, you know, Mel Gibson talking to Jesus? Yeah. Uh, Galway fans explaining today's hurt to Mayo fans. <laughs> uh, I, look, I, I was walking in and uh, towards the Hogan stand and there was a lot of confused Galway fans who were trying to get to the Cusick stand through the route to the Hogan stand. And I was so tempted to make a smart comment about them not knowing their way around Crow Park. And I thought, it's just, it's just not the right time. Leaving myself open to a lot of abuse here as a Mayo man. Uh, you were going to mansplain to Galway how to get into the ground, basically. Basically, yeah. 
Uh, right, so go air in the red. We, you, you feel their pain, and absolutely, you know, it is like there, there was. It was there. another ten and come back to me, then go away. It was there for them, though. That was, I think, that's the the heartbreak for them is that actually they were really in the game and they had an opportunity to push on. And when they got level uh, uh, in the final quarter, they didn't push on. They seemed to go into their shells a little bit. And I don't know if that's if that is inexperience of of being at this level or if it's just them not being good enough, which is also possible. Or again, maybe it was the way Kerry set up where suddenly Kerry again put 14 men back behind the ball, just left Clifford up there and Galway, again, Comer drops out. So suddenly there's a lot of Galway players out around the 45 and they seem very happy to just keep ball. But then the couple of shots they had in goal went wide. And you've just spent three or four minutes with a lot of energy, almost because it's the last five minutes of an All-Ireland. There's a bit of panic when you have the ball at that stage. And... They lacked that bit of composure, and maybe it was just that bit of energy in the last ten minutes. But again, I, I don't think there's any great shame in any way with the way they lost the game yesterday. No, except that maybe they have unleashed the the Kerry wave now, and they will be the new unstoppable juggernaut. We'll see. Uh, right, Ryder Cup captaincy. Yes. Well, it's not <laughs> not a good time for Team Europe, Jer. Can you believe it? All that unity that has held. Uh, this great continent together for so many decades in the Ryder Cup and managed to take down the Americans well it's been blown to smithereens hasn't it by Henrik Stenson walking out on the Ryder Cup captaincy Uh, in all seriousness I think this is a huge blow to uh, the Ryder Cup as an event uh, to Europe for Stenson to take the gig and then within three or four months decide actually screw that I'm taking the money from Liv Uh, did he use the Ryder Cup captaincy as leverage Quite possibly. Was Henrik Stenson worth £10 million back in February and then he became Ryder Cup captain and Henrik Stenson's suddenly worth £50 million. What period of time do they get the money over? How does this work? Does anybody know? There seems to be several, uh, several different thoughts on this. So it, there was a rumour at one stage that the money you were getting in advance, so say a Charles Schwartzel got £20 million, that any winnings earned were held against that. So okay. you got 20 million, but then Charles Wartzel won the first event and he got 4 million, but he was getting that anyway, so he doesn't get the 4 million because... He's already got the 20. other people have said that that's nonsense, actually. You get the 20 million And the front, 4 million. And you get the 4 million. And you get the 20 million up front in, <laughs> in one go. Does it, does it arrive like... like... It is an investment fund, so do they spread it out over the course of five years? Because, listen, I, I think you're touching on one of the other big questions about this as to how long does this last? Because, like, there's no doubt now. Like, there is an enormous split in golf that's only going to become greater over the next few months once the FedEx Cup is done and there's another bucket load of money uh, won a load of those players will take that bucket load and then decide you know I'm going to go over to live for another bucket load of money but is this a three year project a five year project a ten year project a fifty year project by the Saudi Investment Fund for golf or is it a case that in five years time they go actually how do how, how are we tricked by Greg Norman how, how, how do we just spend 10 billion on golf? Actually, let's move on to something else. Let's so, buy the New York Knicks and let's buy Manchester United and let's focus somewhere else. Uh, I don't know if you saw, there was a story in The Guardian, um, uh, maybe it was on Friday. It was the amount of money that the oil and gas industry have made over the last 50 years. 3 billion a day profit every day for the last 50 years. When you accumulate it, is uh, trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions. So. The oil and gas industry has delivered $2.8 billion a day in pure profit for the last 50 years. So ultimately, they could spend a couple of billion on this and it's really, you know... And they've already committed to spending uh, a couple of billion on this. But at some stage, surely... No. Somebody asks the question. No, it doesn't doesn't matter, I think. 
I think it doesn't matter because they have so much of it. Is 20 million in Gray MacDull the best way of spending 20 million for us right now? No, but, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. It, like, it, that's the problem here is that ultimately they can continue to spend money because they have so much of it. And, and it, it becomes devalued as a, as a currency, literally, from their perspective. So you may as well give it away to Charles Schwartzel. I'm just interested in, in like, uh, do they make you earn it? Like, what if you, you kind of take the 20 million and then, oh. Uh, Back injury. Very difficult to pin down exactly. One of the C something vertebrae is just a little bit, you know. Again, I think this is part of where nobody knows what will happen next. Because so this year, it's an eight team event. And a lot of the lesser players, the lorry canters of this world, it seems are tied tied up to playing three or four of these events. As part of their contract, they won't be in all eight, which gives them the wiggle room to bring in three or four big names, uh, new big names for every tournament. But the world rankings are a huge issue. So the biggest problem Liv has at the moment are the world golf rankings. And an awful lot of the players by Augusta next year will have dropped out of the top 50 in the world and won't be eligible. Now, they have players like Sergio Garcia and Dustin Johnson who will get in anyways as former champions. But for a lot of the players, if they don't get over the world rankings issue, like Sergio Garcia will have played his last Open Championship. So like they're accepting that. But there's a feeling that because they own the Asian tour, maybe the players will go and play in the Asian tour to keep their world ranking points up. But then you're like, but you just told me you didn't want to play that much golf. You told me the whole reason for going here was because you missed your family. Yeah, you wanted to spend lied. more time with them. <laughs> but they lied. But now you're willing to travel around the world. Okay. Like, th- these guys wouldn't leave America for years to play any tournament. Yeah. Yet now they want to see the world. So everything that's been said is a load of nonsense. It's all about the money. And you touched on it there, the money doesn't matter, which means even the criticisms, and I get like the PGA Tour is not a perfect product in any way, but they're not going up against somebody. Like the biggest criticism is the amount of ad breaks. Like the only reason Liv can't have ad breaks or don't have ad breaks is well, firstly they have no sponsors at the moment, but also they're just throwing obscene amount of money at it so they don't need to do it. So it's not a fair fight in any way. It's not a realistic fight that the PGA Tour can ever go with. So I don't know how this is going to develop, but for the European Tour, uh, already they've lost Garcia, Poulter, Westwood. And with the way European golf is at the moment, I would have expected that at least two of those would have been on the team next year. They've lost their captain as well. Who's going and to what do the they captain? do now? Uh, it looks as though they're going to go to one of the old guys. So do they go back to Thomas Bjorn, who by all accounts seemed to do quite a good job at the Golf National? Uh, or do they look for a Paul Laurie, who a lot of people would feel was maybe overlooked, obviously a major champion, was a big part of the Miracle in Medina and has been a very good European tour player through the years, but maybe not quite a huge name. But can you get a, can you get a contract that's so watertight that these guys aren't going to go? Like, is, that your, is that your number one reasoning? Who can I trust? So, for example, like Thomas Bjorn is, if, if Liv Goff got Thomas Bjorn, well and good, you know, give him five million quid. But if Thomas Bjorn is the European captain, and you're at war with golf, as they seem to be, do you just go to Thomas Bjorn once he gets the captaincy and say, here's 50 million for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you do? Do you hang on till three months beforehand before and see who's left and make, make a decision? Rory McIlroy the, the Playing captain? Playing captain. You know, like, and then he picks, he picks vice captains and they're like, vice captain, no, nah, probably not. You're probably not worth 20 million. But like, you know, it's somebody who actually does the job on the, on the course. Is that what happens? I don't think it does it's too soon for that, it feels, but like, they could well end up in a scenario. And listen, the Ryder Cup, I know it's not important in many ways, uh, but for one weekend of the year, every two years, it is the biggest event in golf. Like, it, you know, it draws in the most eyes. People, 
it draws in the people who aren't interested in golf for the other two years. So to have it damaged like this is disastrous. Right. And also for the European Tour, like they make all the money off the Ryder Cup. So I, I don't know how it's going to go, but Henrik Stenson, what are you doing? They're going to have to make a deal. That's what's going to happen. Uh, right. Liverpool transfers are in the amber. Quiet weekend. Blame Buhig. That's what we should rename this slot. He couldn't come up with anything else for uh, the amber. He wanted to put Shane Walsh, I think, in amber. And I was like, you can't just put Shane Walsh in amber. That's even more no, nonsensical. It's not. It's like he should have been in green. He, really? like, he, he been just put, he's obviously not going to be happy because his ultimate Could we have put goal. Cody in amber? Well, well, let's get to that in a moment. Uh, why are Liverpool's transfers? Uh, are, are they short? They might well be a little bit short in midfield. Uh, when you look at the signings they've made, and obviously Darwin Nunes uh, played one friendly and there was criticisms about his finishing, and then he played another friendly and he scored four goals, and it turns out friendlies are a load of nonsense and you can't read anything into them at all. Are they? Because it looks a little bit like uh, Gabriel Jesus is playing quite well at the moment. But Gabriel but Jesus was always going to play well. Gabriel Jesus generally played well for Manchester City. The expectations were different, though, at Manchester City than they will be at Arsenal. His XG, not good. Uh, his performance against XG, not good. For, for Manchester City, City. Yeah. Uh, Jesus you don't play that often for Manchester City and also he didn't always play as a central striker for Manchester City over the last couple of years like yeah. they often stuck him out on the wing but I think Jesus is going to be a brilliant signing for Arsenal particularly with the three players they have just behind whatever three they go with with Saka and Smith Rowe and Martinelli and Odegaard you know, do they still need something in the middle of midfield is Zinchenko going to play in the middle of midfield for Arsenal Maybe. if Kieran Tierney is fit they don't need him at left back so uh, we saw Zinchenko uh, for Ukraine, just how brilliant he could be there. I think it'd be really interesting for Arsenal if uh, they play him in the middle of midfield. And obviously it was an interesting weekend in friendlies, more for the fallout from that Arsenal-Chelsea game where Thomas Tuchel has thrown his arms up in the air going, like, not getting the players I want. They've obviously lost Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen. It looks as though Azpilicueta and Marcus Alonso are going to go. Uh, they've been linked with Jules Koundé from Sevilla for years at this stage and there's a feeling that that may be hijacked. Uh, that maybe Barcelona could somehow find the money to sneak in there. Apparently, like, it's hard to have sympathy for Chelsea. Like, they do seem to be getting away with the Roman Abramovich era and the change of ownership scot-free, and it can, again, still spend... As, like, we were questioning their entire existence four or five months ago, uh, yet now they're still signing Koulibaly and Raheem Sterling and They'll spending right. insane amounts of money. Like, yeah. they, will be, they will be just fine. Uh, the, the one question mark about Liverpool, and we're only five days away from the... Uh, Community Shield and seeing Liverpool against Manchester City and again people will read an awful lot into that I think it's just in midfield like every other area they have a lot of options and they do have plenty of options in midfield but they haven't added anything uh, over the course of this summer maybe Harvey Elliott plays in a slightly deeper role I kind of saw him over the next couple of years maybe been the backup to Salah out on the right hand side but maybe he plays in a deeper role now they do still have three out of uh, Fabinho Henderson Thiago Chieta and Curtis Jones may kick on again this year. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is in there still as well, though. You know, has he got any great future? Uh, but that's the one little area you would look at. I think if City hadn't gone and spent the way they have and bought Erling Haaland and uh, Kelvin Phillips and probably Kukurea from Brighton still to come, you would look at Liverpool and think they're, they're well set. But it's just, are they well set to keep pace with City? Yeah, and City are completely unstoppable when it comes to the league so um, maybe they still do need to if you're a Liverpool fan you, you want to make a point to us we're all ears well are they, are, are they as they've done before just holding fire for Jude Bellingham 
and waiting till next summer, knowing that Dortmund, because they sold Haaland, won't sell Bellingham as well this summer. Yeah, the trouble with that is that like um, you're a further season down the line and you've had another year of, of Mo Salah and you want to just make sure that you, you, you're you at bat, you make as much progress as you possibly can um, and that arms race is not going anywhere. Uh, all right, so Kerry, champions after eight years in the green. Yeah, Jack O'Connor, eh? Jack O'Connor and Kerry. Uh, fourth All-Ireland, third spell in charge. Did I see he was the oldest manager of a All-Ireland winning football team? How old is he? 61. Did Mick O'Neill win? In his? No, I suppose Mick oh. was a young man when he... This is the thing. This is the thing. Uh, yeah, fully deserving. Obviously went in as strong favourites yesterday, raging hot favourites, and a slowish first start, but there was a load of brilliant individual performances I think away from David Clifford even just in that first half like the amount of brilliant blocks they got in the Sean O'Shea block uh, Stephen O'Brien got a couple of brilliant blocks in got a right kick up the arse from Paul Conroy for one of them uh, like putting their body on the line when they needed to and the way that Shane Walsh just absolutely roasted Thomas Sullivan some of the other defenders you touched on uh, Jason Foley we'll, you know, we talk about Damien Comer as if it's all on the Galway side that he couldn't get into the game uh, but Foley was obviously exceptional and you know eight years they sort of feel as a famine down in Kerry it turns out uh, I know that's why it's hard to have too much joy uh, in this it's like you know to win just defensively, once, as the uh, saw doctors would say. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Uh, like defensively, they've just been a revelation this year. There was, I always go back to the semi-final against Mayo from what five years back, and how they just ripped them to pieces again and again and again. And there's just been massive doubts about that Kerry defence. But O'Connor's come in, conceded three goals all year. A ta- tally. Paddy Tally came in. But Paddy Tally comes in. Like you know, Paddy Tally comes in, and it's. We're allowed to give Jack O'Connor some credit here. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not giving him He brought Paddy Talley in. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, this whole, I'm sick of that Northern crowd. If they're up there set dancing twice a week, we'd all be set dancing twice a week. It turns out you are all set dancing twice a week now. At halftime, uh, like, the, if you... I, I'd love to have seen the same game played out uh, between Armagh and Derry, say, and the halftime analysis. If you just put different coloured shirts... On those teams, the halftime announcement would have been, oh, look at this. I couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic with that tweet. Uh, completely sarcastic. 100% sarcastic. Like, I actually really enjoyed the game. I think that uh, th- there was a period of time where rugby was really good, where the best teams would go up against each other and uh, the game would be in the melting pot right until the end. But then they completely changed the rules and, um, I don't know, they, they, they tinkered with it so much. I fear that they're going to tinker with the rules of Gaelic football because we're getting really good All-Ireland finals at the moment where teams who are relatively close in standard are playing out close games and it's very tense. Like That's what the Dublin Mayo games were like. Goy probably not at the same level as that Mayo team just yet. Um, but maybe they'll get there. Uh, I, I thought the game was really good. It's just, it's just constantly being dismissed when a team plays defensive. It's like, oh, this is an abomination. This shouldn't be allowed. This is crap. Why, why is the game no good? Why are they trying to keep possession? It's like, well, because that's how you win games. And the job of the management team and the players is to win these games. And um, we need to stop looking for aesthetic pleasure. Well, there's different levels of quality as well. It, you know, Donegal, the prime example on their journey under Jim McGuinness, that when they figured out the attacking side, suddenly it was absolutely brilliant to watch. Yes, they were very defensive. But both these sides have such attacking talent, even though they went back with, you know, in Kerry's case, 14 men behind, Galway, 12, 13 men behind, because they had so much attacking talent when they came out with the ball, when they did win it back, I think you can put up with it a, a whole lot more. And you can't expect every team to have that attacking quality. So a lot of teams, when they're defensive, it's just when it goes up the other end of the pitch, they can't keep hold of it. They can't kick the quality of points that we saw yesterday. 
and it can be a little bit dour. But like, was there anything wrong with Kerry's game plan? Like if they lose, like if they lose yesterday, are we are we? Because I did feel they when I said you during the semi final against Dublin, like God, if Kerry were to lose this, like, in the great traditions of Kerry football, to be sitting back against Dublin, a Dublin they're clearly better than, with 14 men behind the ball, taking no risk and just leaving David Clifford up there, are we destroying them for that? Or is that actually the best game plan? Well, it turns out it was the best game plan. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if they if they lost an All Ireland final where they're four to six point favourites, depending on where you're looking, you know, that would have been a crisis because they would again have failed to do what they were supposed to be doing. Um, uh, Owen was comparing them to Mayo in the semi final at various stages, and yesterday again, he uh, he dug up the the previous one. Uh, it's like they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. So look, uh, fair play, Kerry champions. And really well set up to dominate for the next while. And they should enjoy this because they're in a sweet spot now where their best players are of an age where there is still more to come. And like, was Clifford fully fit this year? I'm not sure. Remember, they, he, is, he, does, is, he, is he faking it when he's going around looking shattered after 10 minutes? Uh, <laughs> I think he's got that um, Damien Duff mm. ability to like just the hands Trying on the lulls the defence into false sense of security yeah and then he like, flies through the air literally flying through the air like Superman at one stage mm. in the first half um, I, I think the advanced mark is bollocks I oh my god it's like a complete waste right but uh, when he does it you're like mm, maybe maybe you justify this rule just because like you're doing that thing but like wouldn't it be much better more exciting if he was then trying to do something else well, you know? the two yesterday, he probably wouldn't have been able to do a huge amount of Like, they were the reason the mark is there. Like, he is head and shoulders above everyone with this obscene catch. It was the semi final against Dublin where there was a mark, and he's isolated one on one with the defender. And you're thinking, no, 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 no. And it was a brilliant carry move to get it to him. And he gets around the defender and he smashes this in the back of the net. We're talking about one of the all time great goals. But I'm sure he's under orders. You've got to take the sensible option here. But, like, the two catches yesterday. I know, again, you can look and look at Sean Kelly and say, can you do a bit more? Can you step in front of him? But even no, the movement, yeah, yeah. even the movement, he makes three or four separate little sprints just to get out. And the thing is, when you're sitting in the stand, it's so easy to see where the ball is going. Like the second one, you're thinking there's no way he's getting this. When the ball leaves the foot of the player playing it in, there's no way he's getting anywhere near this. He's yeah. about 30 yards away. And the speed of him, yeah, it was... Like, we are all guilty already of just taking everything he does for granted. Yeah. Um, okay, Brian Cody in green. Uh, yeah. Uh, did he announce it on Saturday to overshadow the football final? <laughs> is, that a, is that the peak hurling? Um, that peak hurling people were at? Well, it was Wednesday that the, the first rumours started coming yeah, out. Yeah, at that stage, obviously. I think um, well, David Herity had said to us that he had heard the previous year that he was going to go, that was going to be his last year, but he, he kept going, obviously, because he did think there was one chance to stop Limerick, and they nearly did it. Why now, though? Why now? Yeah, as he looked at Limerick and thought, actually, you know, we gave absolutely everything out there. We played as well as we could and we still couldn't beat them. And TJ Reid ain't getting any younger. Why now? Well, because he's had 24 years. I know. But next year could be the best one yet. Like, another chance to take down Limerick as they're going for four in a row. He's like, they're going to equal your Grey Kilkenny team. Yeah. Don't let them do that. Henry's going to be back in the dugout again for Galway. Like, you're going to be the main man all year. Surely there's a bit of ego in there. Um, uh, yeah, okay. So that's your, your, your um, paying 
testimony to him now by saying, "Why? What, 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 what are you walking Don't over? leave us now." Uh, that's insane. Like eleven All Irelands, eighteen Leinster, ten national leagues. Uh, just the sheer longevity of it. Maliki Clerken pointed out in the Irish Times today. He spent two days of his life doing post-match interviews. <laughs> that's at a conservative estimate of uh, of ten minutes per post-match interview. So he's probably spent a lot longer than that. Uh, so you can understand why he wants to get the hell out of here. Uh, but I, I was talking to a Kilkenny man last night who was 48 and he said, literally half my life this man has been you know, there for uh, all of the big games that I remember. And so when you think about what it actually means to Kilkenny people, uh, you know, the, the broader kind of context of like, is he the greatest GA man of all time? More than likely, right? Mm. More than likely. And you can make that case. And obviously the uh, unsavory element with Shefflin this year People will, I think, get over that in time, and uh, and that's not going to be a, it'll be a little tiny part of his legacy. But uh, you'd, you'd have to say that it's an incredible quality of achievement. The, the, the one thing is that they had great hurlers, and um, to be able to get the great hurlers to continue to play for you in the style that he did is really remarkable. And again, it's like that that whole style of management, I think, is is dissipating um, and so there just won't be his likes again like you know no one's going to be able to do that for that length of time um, as the demands increase and everything kind of gets bigger and bigger so yeah fair play Brian Cody fair play you did well Brian yeah you, you, you did well uh, right that's this week's performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.